Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, Today we're going to start a new series that I'm calling the Countercultural Jesus. And in our culture nowadays, it's become really popular to like Jesus. If you watch Oprah Winfrey, she's got Rob Bell. And Rob Bell is uh, starting a new class uh, for Oprah.com on how to have joy every day. And he talks about Jesus, I would imagine, because he is a pastor, at least former pastor. And it's become really popular to like Jesus. It's become really popular to like Jesus, but not to care for his bride a whole lot. Um, His bride being the church. And it's become very popular to think of Jesus as just this really great moral teacher and example. This man who lived 2,000 years ago, who walked around just having amazing thoughts and ideas that he spewed forth uh, to peasants around first century Palestine. But if you look closer at the person of Jesus, you will see that a lot of what he says is bothersome and at worst, offensive. And this series, what we're going to do is look at those sayings of Jesus that have typically been called the hard sayings of Jesus. Those sayings of Jesus that all of us, if we're really honest with each other and with Jesus, we would say, I'd rather you not have said that. Those parts where Jesus said things that aren't so meek and mild. Those things that he said that actually contributed to his dying on a cross. You don't be, you're not executed as a criminal because you were a nice guy and a good moral teacher. You made somebody mad along the way. And so for the next several weeks, up until Advent season, can you believe that? We're going to consider these hard sayings of Christ and look at the countercultural teachings of Jesus, those teachings that are often neglected by the popular uh, ear ticklers out there. So if you came to church wanting your ears tickled, talk to your neighbor and see if they'll, they'll flick your ear for you. Um, these are going to be difficult texts, difficult things to wrestle through. So I, I would just ask that, could you give me 30 minutes of thinking? Would you give me 30 minutes of, of wrestling, of striving? Uh, there is a, a gal, an 80-year-old little lady in Spain who made the headlines this summer. She became an internet phenomenon for her artistic abilities or, or actually lack thereof. She is a local artist in Spain, and she decided that this fresco of Jesus that had been painted in 1930 in her church needed to be updated, needed to be restored. In fact, the the fresco looks like this. Um, That is the original, and you can see that some of it has flaked away with time. Uh, Things aren't going so well with that picture any longer. And so the local artist did this to Jesus. I have... The original and her next side by side, if you could show that next one. Potato head Jesus. Um, 
ugly monkey Jesus. I, I don't know what happened there. She actually turned herself into authorities when she, quote, realized things were going badly. Sadly, we all can have a distorted Jesus that we follow. All of us can seek to paint Jesus in the way we would like him to be. And oftentimes we we don't recognize what we're doing until it, it gets a bit out of hand. And we start to realize that maybe the Jesus I'm following isn't the one in Scripture because he talked about oh, an easy yoke and this isn't going so well. He talked about joy and I don't ever feel it. He talked about suffering and I don't ever seem to suffer for my faith. Perhaps we often gravitate to a poorly painted portrait of Jesus. And so part of this series is to to help us paint and fill out and flesh out who Christ was. One of the dangers of being a pastor is that you want to be liked by people. Jesus, I'm sure, faced this dilemma. I mean, he was God, but he was also in the flesh. And one of the things that the flesh likes is when people follow you around and listen to you and like you. And there was one time when Jesus was teaching some difficult teachings and people quit following him. It got so bad that he turned to the 12 and he said, are you also going to leave? Which Peter said, Father, where were, or Jesus, where would we go? I have no idea what's going on. Where would we go? And of course, that's a weird statement because Peter could easily have gone back home, gone back to his, his job. He had plenty of places to go. What is he saying? He's saying, you are the only one who has words of eternal life. He had found something in Jesus, even though it was difficult, even though it was hard, even though it wasn't things that tickled his ears. He had found something that he was not willing to abandon. So I hope and pray that we will find this Jesus in these next few passages that we look at. But we will also be honest with ourselves and say, I'd rather he not have said this. Today's passage is actually in Mark chapter 8. It's got some parallel passages in the Gospels, and the words will be on the screen, but I want to remind you and encourage you to bring your Bible because I hope and pray you are reading that thing regularly at home. And I hope and pray you are marking it up, and I hope and pray you are circling, and I hope and pray you're journaling. I hope and pray this has an impact on you. And then if you bring it on Sunday mornings, you might go, oh, I read this last week and I had questions. Or I read this a couple years ago and I had this question mark. And you won't know that unless you bring your Bible. So bring your Bible. We put them on the screen. Uh, Part of me doesn't want to do that. I've had people say, please put them on the screen. Part of me is like, no, I want you to bring your Bible. Oh, well, I'm losing that argument. Here we go. And uh, Mark chapter 8, we'll start in verse 27. Jesus is about to give a pop quiz to his disciples. And he says, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, uh, pop quiz question number one, who do people say I am? Now, that's an easy pop quiz question because the answer is, what do the headlines say? What are you hearing out on the streets? Just let me know. Fill me in. They replied, 
Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. They have a myriad of answers, and people are trying to get their brain around who is this Jesus? And why does that do that? (laughs) And then he says this, this is pop quiz question number two. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Now, this is a sermon in and of itself. We could stop here and we could ask you, who do you say Jesus is? Uh, who do you think he is? Do you, do you think he's just a good moral teacher? Do you think he's just a nice guy that's dead and lived a long time ago? Do you think he's the risen son of God? Do you think he was born of a virgin? Do you think he is God incarnate in the flesh that he is king of the world? Who do you think he is? And really, it doesn't matter what you say. It's how you live. I mean, that's ultimately the test. We know this because Jesus himself said that's the test. Uh, He finished one of his most famous sermons by saying, the foolish man builds his house upon the sand. The wise man builds his house upon the rock. And he says uh, that the rock is my teaching in this sermon. And if you build your life upon my teachings, if you do what I have told you to do, when the storms of life come, you will endure. Not who do you say I am? That's very important, but we all know that it's driving at a deeper thing, isn't it? In fact, we'll see that in the very text because right after he says this, Peter gets a star. Peter answered, you are the Messiah. (laughs) You are the king. You are the Christ. In fact, in order to know what the Messiah is, you need to know what the Old Testament says. Uh, If all you know is the New Testament, you don't know the New Testament. You have to know the Old Testament to know what's going on here. And what he is referring to is that Jesus is the king of the Jews. He is the long awaited for Messiah. He is the one that the prophets have proclaimed. He is the one that God said would crush the serpent's head clear back in Genesis, the early chapters. This is the one. This is the Messiah. This is a hugely loaded term. My guess is when I pose the question to you, who is Jesus? Messiah wasn't what you thought. Is it? You thought son of God. You thought born of of a virgin in a manger, Christmas guy. But Messiah probably wasn't the word that came to mind. Weird, huh? What's wrong with us? How come we didn't get an A on that one? Why don't we think Messiah? Why would Peter think Messiah? Well, because he's Jewish and he knows the Old Testament. In fact, he's he's in the process of being a part of the New Testament at this point. Now, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are the one we're waiting for. You are the king of the Jews. And now let's go kick some Roman booty and take it back. I mean, that's really what Peter is thinking here. You are the guy who's going to win back the White House. (laughs) You are the guy who's going to bring liberation and freedom and Fix all the wrongs in Israel. That's what Peter is saying. You are the one that I'm voting for, Jesus. Jesus warned them not to tell anybody about him. (laughs) He did that a lot. Part of this is because he knows that if word gets out that he is claiming to be Messiah, it will make some people mad. Now, He then began to teach them that the son of man, which is a a phrase meaning 
Son of God, meaning Jesus, meaning the Messiah. It stems back to Daniel, uh, the book of Daniel. The Son of Man, Jesus, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. This is not what Peter expects to hear from the guy who's about to fix the problems in Israel. Doesn't sound like a good plan, Jesus. You're going to lose the election? How does that help anything? Not only lose the election, they're going to kill you? How does that help anything? I heard the rise again thing. I don't know what that means. They're going to kill you? That's a problem, Jesus. In fact, look what Peter did. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, just, just get your head around this story. Taking God aside and rebuking God. Anybody ever do that? I, I take God aside sometimes in my life. Hey, uh, come here, God. Your plan is not very good. Just going to let you know it's not going well. Come here. What are you thinking? Excuse me. Where have you been? I mean, do you ever have asides with God? Peter had an aside with God in the flesh. Got to actually put his arm around Jesus. All right, Jesus, let me coach you up on what the Messiah is supposed to do. Because you're wrong. So Peter coaches him up. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, so not only does he look at Peter, he looks at his disciples. He rebuked Peter. This is Jesus meek and mild, right? Listen to what the gracious, merciful Lord Jesus, the good moral teacher, has to say to his number one pupil. Get behind me, Satan. Moms, you ever said that to your kids? (laughs) Husbands, to your wife? I mean, this is not a way to win friends or influence people, is it? Now, we got to be careful here because um, the word Satan, in your Bible, it might be... um, it might be uh, capitalized. It doesn't need to be capitalized. In the Hebrew, it just means, get behind me, adversary. Get behind me, person who's working against me. Get behind me, dude who's wrong. This is pretty strong when you say Satan, the word that is attached to the ultimate adversary, the adversary to the plan and working and will of God. And what he's saying is, Peter, you're in league with the wrong side. You have crossed over to the dark side. Peter, I am your father, right? I mean, he is listening to the wrong guy. He is on the wrong team. And Jesus doesn't mince words. He's crystal clear. If you ever think the Bible is hard to understand, you need to keep reading it. You see... Perhaps you understood it. You just didn't like it. Get behind me, Satan. Now, this causes Jesus to get on a soapbox and keep talking for a while. He said, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. God's got a bigger picture, a bigger plan. You just want me to fix Israel. God's about doing that and more. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. 
Because right before this, he had fed all these people free food. Tends to get a crowd. When I was a youth pastor, they were like, hey, get more kids. I'm like, all right, give me a budget with free food. I'll get more kids here. It's not that difficult. You can get a crowd to get them to listen, to get them to pay attention, to get them to want to do what you're talking about. That's a whole different ballgame. I can get a crowd. Jesus got a crowd. And he gets the crowd and he waves them over. He says, hey, come here. Listen to me. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now, this has become so mundane for us because it's on coffee mugs. Because it's on little nice cross-stitched things that hang on our walls. Because it's a greeting card. Like I've said in the past, it'd be far better to say, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, pick up their hangman noose and follow me. Now, make a greeting card out of that. It's not much of a precious moment, is it? All right, got it right here, Jesus. Where are we going? Pick up your guillotine and hang out with me. Pick up your electric chair. Let's get going. He picks the most gruesome manner of death in the ancient world and says, that's what you get to carry when you decide to follow me. Don't you wish he wouldn't have said that? Let's be honest. I won't tell anybody outside this room. I'll be honest with you right now. I wish he didn't say this. Because I really like to be God of my own life. I don't want somebody telling me what to do. Do you? Do you really want some guy who lived 2,000 years ago to tell you what to do? What to drag along, what to carry, how to handle yourself, how to live your life. Do you really want that? Now, look at what he says. Deny themselves. Take up their cross and follow me. And for this, we got to get into some Greek. And I know that's really boring. So just glaze your eyes over for just a brief moment. The first two words are imperatives. Deny and take up. They are an imperative. It is a command. Now, remember, this is only for people who want to be disciples of Jesus. So if you don't want to be a disciple of Jesus, you can blow this part off. You don't have to listen to this, okay? This is only if you want to follow Jesus. Are these commands important? If you don't want to be a disciple, that's how Jesus structured it. If you don't want to be a disciple, don't have to pay attention to this part. It's optional then. If you want to be a disciple, it's a command. And it's in the aorist passive voice. The heiress passive voice is really important because it means it's a one-time thing. What Jesus is saying is, I'm not just some nice moral teacher. He's saying, I'm a fork in the road. And when you hit me, you got to figure it out and decide, disciple or not. That's the options. And if you're going to be a disciple, here's the decision you have to make when you encounter Jesus. Deny yourself and pick up your cross. That's your decision. It's a one-time decision. You do it and it's done. It's over with. Now, some of you, that's why you're here today. You got to make that decision. You got to hit that fork in the road. and You got to decide what to do with Jesus. And then the next one, follow me. 
that is an imperative as well. Remember, these are just commands for people who want to be disciples of Jesus. If you don't want to be a disciple of Jesus, this doesn't apply to you. But if you want to be a disciple, and by the way, to be a disciple means to go to heaven. Did you know that? Like you can't have one without the other. You can't be in the kingdom and not be a disciple. I mean, that's the way Jesus sees it. I don't care what you think. He doesn't care what you think. He didn't like what Peter thought. And here he says, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to be in the kingdom, you have to do these things. They are commands. And this one is a continuing action. You have to keep following me. This isn't just a one time and done. This is a every moment of every day course corrections. Oops. I don't think I was following Jesus just now. Oops, he moved. Where is he? Where's Jesus? Right? And constantly correcting your course to follow him. This is an ongoing behavior. And it's a command. Remember, just a command for those who want to be Jesus followers. Just a command for those who want to be a disciple. Doesn't apply to anybody else. Now, if it's bad enough that he didn't stop there, he keeps going. Now, actually, at this point, what he's going to do is he's going to give you some incentive because who on earth in their right mind would do this? Why would we want to do this? Why would we want to follow this guy? In fact, um, there's a quote. Uh, Gaby, jump back, jump to the quote um, that I put um, right after the Bible reading. It's a quote um, by William Lane, who's a New Testament scholar who is writing about this passage. Actually, it's a couple up from that. And William Lane, he was writing about what is Jesus meaning when he says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And he says this, Jesus stipulated that those who wish to follow him must be prepared to shift the center of gravity in their lives from a concern for self to reckless abandon to the will of God. That's what Jesus is saying in this passage. Reckless abandon for the will of God. The crucial thought in self-denial is a disowning of any claim that may be urged by the self. A sustained willingness to say no to oneself in order to be able to say yes to God. And remember, it's a command. For anybody who wants to follow Jesus, it's a command that this would be your orientation to God. I've never been in the military, but I've talked to people who have. I've found out that I would not do well in the military. Because when people tell me to do stuff, I regularly want to do the opposite thing. How about you? I don't like being told, all right, we got to get up at seven. You got to make your bed. You got to dress this way. Your hair needs to be cut like this. You got to behave this way. I regularly like to subvert the dominant paradigm. It's just kind of in me. I like to do it in the military. I'd be shot, blown up. Hey, there's line landmines, wine coop. You're going to be the guy that we send out in front of everybody to find where they are. Yes. You'll only find one. That's okay. (laughs) I mean, I, I don't like it when people boss me around. I don't like taking orders. But for those who want to be a disciple, you've got to take these three orders. 
Because Jesus is a fork in the road. He's not a wise moral teacher. I mean, he's that, but he's a fork in the road. And so Jesus is demanding this of everyone within earshot who wants to be a disciple. He goes on and he says, now, this is the incentive to actually do this. He actually talks about if you choose not to do this, what is the consequence? And at the heart of this is a paradox. A paradox is what something that looks like it can't possibly be true at first glance. But as we think about it a little harder, we realize, huh, maybe that's true. He says this. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for you to gain the whole world, yet forfeit your soul? Or what can you give in exchange for your soul? If any of you are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of you when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. He says, why would you want to do this? Why would you want to sell out to me? Why would you want to follow me? I really like how Eugene Peterson actually puts this, uh, it translates this in the message. Gabe, if you can get to that one. The message, Eugene Peterson's translation of this passage, where he says this. Once we get it, I don't have it in my little book. I love how he puts this because he gets it into language that we understand. Because crosses, we don't quite get that. It's coming. Well, here it is. Actually, the... Okay, Mark 8. It's a few down. Keep looking for it once you find it. There you go. Jesus says, calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. That's what he's saying. Anybody who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. That's pretty clear, isn't it? You see, Jesus is a fork in the road. And he's saying, if you're going to be my disciple, I'm the one who drives the car. Some of you who are married, you know you don't like to have your spouse drive, right? And then your kids get their license, and you know you don't like to have them drive. And some of you are total control freaks. You don't like to have anybody else drive but you. And Jesus says the metaphor that Eugene Peterson uses is the driving metaphor. Because for us, we realize that means I'm out of control That means I can't say, hey, uh, you missed the turn, Jesus. I mean, you can, but he keeps driving the way he wants to drive. Now, this is a paradox. This idea that if you will lose your life for Christ's sake, you will gain it. I think... If we really start to see at how some of the world works, we'll see that at some level, this is a principle that we understand. For instance, he who wants to lose weight must deny himself, right? Quit taking up his fork. Uh, If you want to change something in your life, oftentimes you have to deny yourself. 
In order to evoke changes, you have to deny yourself certain pleasures, certain activities, certain ways of thinking. Dave Ramsey, uh, the finance guy, he says, you need to live now like no one else so later in life you can live like no one else. There's this guy I like to follow online. His name is, uh, I don't know what his real name is. His blog is called Mr. Money Mustache. He lives out of Longmont. He retired in his 30s. I don't like him. I like to read him. And he lives a life where he and his family only live off of $24,000 a year by choice because he has millions in the bank. He thinks that one of the things that keeps us poor in this country is because we like to drive cars that are really expensive. And so he lives in Longmont and he rides his bike everywhere and he filled up his cars back in April and he's still sipping on those tanks of gas. And people think, man, you're an idiot. You're stupid. Why would you deprive yourself of all these things? And he's like, because I wanted to retire when I was young. And I don't sit around on Mondays going, great, I got to go work for the man again today. He doesn't have the concerns and, and worries that we have because he lived different than everybody else. He denied himself certain things. Jesus understands how he made the world. I know that's a shocking statement. He understands how he made the world. And one of the ways he made the world is that we must deny ourselves certain things in order to really live. And here he says, you must deny yourself Take up your cross. I'm in the fork in the road. You need to make up your mind and choose. And then every day, every minute of every day, you need to course correct. Am I in the driver's seat? Or is Jesus in the driver's seat? Is this what I want to do? Or is this what God wants me to do? I wish Jesus wouldn't have said this. Don't you? But it's kind of in the category of, I wish there wasn't a federal income tax. Don't you? Don't you wish that? What are you going to do about it? You're going to pay your taxes is what you're going to do about it. If you don't pay your taxes, somebody's going to come and show up and make you pay your taxes. Because you're not in charge of that. Somebody else is. You're not in charge of this world. Somebody else is. And you can either choose to be a follower of the one who will ultimately rule and reign in this world. And at that point, if you deny yourself this life, then when all eternity breaks loose, you will live like nobody else. Or you can have all you want For 70 or 80 years. And just hope and pray. It pans out for the the rest of it. You see, Jesus understands that if we follow him, we will truly have life. So what say you? These are commands. 
Remember, these are only commands for people who want to be disciples. One quick last thing. In 2007, this church decided to leave a denomination that was called the Disciples of Christ. And the reason we decided to leave that denomination called the Disciples of Christ was because they were oxymoronic with that name. Because these three commands of Jesus were not followed and heeded by the disciples of Christ. Oh, that's so mean that you would say that. So judgmental. I'm just letting you know that Jesus is judgmental. And if people and institutions and churches and entities fall at this fence, they're not disciples. He doesn't mince words. He's really clear. It's not something that you have to go through life going, gee, I wonder if when I die, I'll be with Jesus. It doesn't leave it up to chance or guessing. In this text, there's actually words that he uses. Forfeit and profit. You might see that in your your text. And he uses financial imagery. And the idea is that if you choose Christ then the scales tip like this. You are a disciple and you're in. But if you don't choose Christ, you choose yourself, they go completely the other way. See, a lot of Americans think that it's a balancing act between if I do enough good, it'll counter out the bad I did. Well, good luck with that. The one who ultimately deals with the scales has told you how to shift the scales into your favor. It has nothing to do with being good. It has everything to do with who you follow. Are you following Jesus? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that um, these hard words from Jesus that we will be considering this week and in the weeks to come would work to shape us, would work to shape our community of faith. I pray that in these words we would hear grace, those notes of grace that are still in there, the grace that you cared enough to send Jesus to alert us to these things, to clue us in, to let us know that we would not have to doubt, that we wouldn't have to worry or wonder. And I also pray that we would hear the notes of responsibility and expectations, that we are called to be followers. It is not optional for those who want to be disciples. It is not optional for those who want to spend eternity with God and Jesus in heaven. And I pray, Father, that you would give us strength to follow, that we would understand that there is truly a price to pay for both following, but also for not following. Holy Spirit, make us followers. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. He wants to. He wants you to follow and find peace. What say you? Be a follower. Amen.